0: In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, The bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to
1: doing work that matters.
2: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again to our Quality Matters podcast. This is Darcy. I'm flying solo this week. Kyle's busy doing his work he does. <laughs> and uh, we're here to share some more interviews with you from uh, OTC 2019. We hope you enjoy listening to these as much as we enjoy doing them.
3: Okay, we're again here at uh, OTC uh, 2019, and we are here with a uh, high torque. And this is kind of a fun uh, interview for me because what I have found in the doing a lot of consultation work and auditing and just seeing different businesses is high torque is almost one of those terms that's kind of like Kleenex. Not everything is Kleenex, but if it serves the same purpose, people call it Kleenex because it's just so well known. Um, and I find that all the time with high torque. People have high torque equipment that does not have the high torque name on it. <laughs> um, so just kind of a fun interview here for me. So go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Tell me a little bit about, uh, about what you do here. Sure.
1: Uh, My name is Eric Yunkers. I'm the president of the company, also the uh, son of the original founder, John Yunkers. Oh, amazing. So uh, very much have high torque uh, running through my blood since I was uh, a a little child. And uh, my involvement with the company obviously varies, as you can appreciate. Uh, I get involved in a lot of the sales strategy work, product development type of efforts and uh, things of that nature. So, uh, you know, really our effort lately has been focused on uh, the same thing we've been focused on for the last 51 years of our existence since 1968. And that's to optimize industrial bolting. We have a singular focus, which is on development of innovative industrial bolting products and supporting those industrial bolting products, Right, looking to make the bolting world safer, looking to make it more efficient. And uh, that's really what we put our attention on. And I think we're really doing that in a unprecedented fashion today with some of our latest releases. Um, this show uh, highlighted with uh, the recognition of our latest product, the lithium series 2, our latest battery-operated unit. Wow, so uh, we're pretty excited for all that's going to be from come from that, and
4: uh, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, our future. We feel it's very strong.
3: Absolutely, awesome.
4: Go ahead. Sure. Uh, so my name is Kunal Rana, and uh, I am the uh, product manager here at electric, uh, handling the uh, electric tools. Uh, okay. So the electric tools, uh, we have a new product, uh, the Lithium Series Two, and that is a next generation product, and. Uh, uh, as a product manager for Electric Tools, I put a lot of focus okay. uh, on that product in terms of uh, the planning, the development, and the, the launch of that product.
3: Awesome, awesome.
4: Now, a lot of folks that listen to the podcast aren't
3: necessarily in the industrial area, so we're talking about bolting solutions. Most people probably just think, well, you just, you just tighten it up, right? And then, you know, maybe get a tire iron on it and just, you know, crank it till it squeaks, but it doesn't always work that way, right? So give me, uh, again, kind of the folks that are listening, a little bit of detail about why this is actually uh, highly valuable to to so many industries sure
1: um, you know our 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 world of industrial bolting is is a very critical one i mean we 're involved in in you know putting together and taking apart very critical pieces of equipment, whether yeah. it 's turbines or whether it 's heat exchangers or valves or pipelines or pieces of heavy equipment or right. so forth and so on and you know it is it is not always appreciated, but there is a bit of an art to mm-hmm. to to the bolting world and really. You know that's where we come in uh we've been focused on this as i said earlier for 51 years really really working to educate the masses on the importance of of going about your bolting work in the in the best way possible as safely and effectively as possible and you know that's that's that allowed us to be entirely focused on it you know it's it's an area that a lot of people don't think about so it's not that uncommon and uh but we do and it's 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 been our focus for for the entirety of our existence and uh you know, I think we've done some pretty good things to take the bolting world world forward,
3: make it safer, make it easier, and, and overall better. No, I, I definitely agree. Like I say, it's, uh, in the world I work in, it's, it's kind of a almost a, a household name for any bolting solutions, whether or not it is. But that just goes to, to show, you know, the quality and the recognition uh, of the product. Um, but I didn't know anything about this myself either until about 10 years ago. I started working uh, with, uh, well, a little more than that, but uh, a gas turbine repair company. She was mentioning yep. uh, turbines. And so I was very um, surprised to find out that we had to have our, um, you know, basically these wrenches calibrated. I'm like, yeah. what are you talking about? You, get a, you can't get that calibrated. Well, yeah, it only puts so much torque on it. I had no idea. But, you know, you later find out how, how critical this is because you can stretch the bolt on it. And if you stretch it too far, it's going to break from the vibrations. You don't stretch it enough, the machine's going to vibrate apart. That's exactly right. <laughs> Uh, so I saw uh, a little bit of your presentation earlier. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about what you, the new products you all got out.
4: Sure. Uh, the new product that's out is the lithium series 2 electric torque tool. This is a battery-operated uh, tool which uh, provides uh, portability and convenience to the user, allowing the user to take the tool uh, to places where uh, other tools uh, cannot reach uh, right. due to uh, cords and, and hoses and things of that sort. So... Uh, that's the benefit of the electric uh, torque tool. Um, this uh, lithium series two electric torque tool, we've made significant advancements uh, in three main areas, and that is the usability, the durability, and the functionality okay. of the tool. Yeah, I, I saw a little bit of the
3: uh, presentation. I don't think I've ever seen such a, a, a sophisticated uh, drill. I mean, it's just fascinating. And uh, so this has the same functions to where you can set the uh, the the torque and how much uh, pressure we put on it and, and everything on there. Uh, so that was really, uh, really interesting. I uh, want to make sure that we get uh, all of your information put in the, uh, the podcast as well. Um, I always like to hear kind of weird stories that people have run into. So what are maybe some of the, the kind of craziest mishaps or stories that you all have seen um, from folks maybe not using your equipment or, or not doing things properly? That's a good
1: question. Well, there, 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 there's a video that we do show at uh, at some of the shows, and and you know, unfortunately, it's the mishaps that occur if you're if you're not using the bolting equipment properly or or in the right manner, you know, can be can be quite severe and and mm-hmm. and uh, and and really unfortunate. I mean, we're talking about serious injuries and mm-hmm. and things of that nature, so. You know, uh, unfortunately, it's not as lighthearted as as you know because yeah. you do see some real real things go wrong and right. uh, and you know and that's why we we take it as seriously as we do because these are very high power pieces of equipment and you know they're absolutely necessary. You need them uh, to you need them to tighten up these 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 important pieces of equipment and you know if you don't use them properly, you do run the risk of seriously getting injured. And right. so, with the latest technology we're bringing out, we're really taking a lot of those hazards entirely out of the equation. And so that really gets us very fired up because you know right now i think people are accepting a a certain way of going about your bolting as 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 sort of a necessary evil when it's really not and that that has to do with this reaction arm this this the presence of that hazard so you know we're 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 doing a lot of things there that has really enabled us to just just improve upon you know what is and you know you see a lot of things go wrong honestly bolting it it's it's gaining a better appreciation as of recently and i think we're we're helping to kind of spur that with regards mm-hmm. to the training efforts we yep. just within the past 5 years actually worked closely with ASME the American Society of Mechanical yep. Engineers to develop the first industrial bolting course really so oh that's called, interesting it's called the QBS course qualified okay. bolting specialist course and anybody can take it. We've got a number of uh, ATPs, authorized training providers right. around the country, around the world even. Oh, great. And so that effort is all about educating the masses, spreading awareness on how to safely and effectively use bolting tools. So some of these mishaps don't occur. And right. So uh, I think it's I think it's helped and really contributed to a safer and,
3: and better workplace. That's awesome. Hey, guys, I really appreciate it. Thank you much. All right.
4: Thank you. All
2: right. This interview is with Joey from... Ha ha (laughs) ha ha. This interview is with Joey from Drone Pro. I was excited that we actually ran into him at the conference because I've emailed him several times, but I haven't actually met with him. And they use their drones. This is one that I do understand, so I was really excited. They use their drones to help inspect pipelines, towers, anywhere that people have a hard time getting to, they can take their drones. And it's not the you know little drones that you buy off Amazon or at Walmart these are some serious drones. He had one on display there, and I think Kyle's going to put it, a picture of it in the show notes, so this was really cool. Yeah,
5: so uh, pro has been uh, in business for about four years now, and uh, after I had a uh, quality inspection background, we went into the drone business because uh, during the downturn, there was a lot of uh, need for cost-effective uh, inspections and things like that, yeah. uh, cost-saving measures. So started this up because it's a very uh, good way to get the – assets inspected, you know, quickly and much more safely, and we're able to save the customers lots of money, and it's always good when you're able to do that.
3: Now, not everyone that listens to the podcast is involved in uh, oil and gas, industrial services, so how does a drone save people money on inspections, what are you inspecting?
5: Sure, exactly, so uh, take an example of a a drilling rig with a derrick, so typically you have a three-man rope access crew, which is basically rock climbing. Hanging from the derrick, doing inspections um, manually—it's uh, quite labor-intensive and slow. So, what we do is we get the drone up there and we uh, look at the asset ahead of time, mm-hmm. and we can pinpoint areas of concern rather than the rope access guys having to inspect the whole the whole asset. So, it in turn makes it much more efficient uh, inspection. So.
3: Okay, so with uh, with a drone, you're able to uh, keep people from getting in the hazardous situations. Correct. Yes, and you're not having to have the, of course, the manpower and labor and all of the other support services that go along exactly. with it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now, how do you actually conduct an inspection? I mean, is it uh, just a camera? Like, what, what do you do? Sure.
5: Sure. So all of our guys are uh, inspectors by trades, uh, okay. trained to be drone pilots. So. Uh, They go up and do a visual inspection with a 4K camera, uh, usually a high zoom, so we can get in and see, you know, all the different small bolts and tools that go with it. So we we utilize that. We also utilize uh, thermal cameras for, like, flare stacks. So we can see hot spots and uh, whether, you know, nozzles are working or not working. And we can also do uh, pipeline surveys, long distances. So that's something new that we're getting into and getting a lot beyond line of sight. So we're able to not only... uh, do a a visual inspection we can do 2d ortho maps 3d terrain maps we can look for leaks uh with vegetation cameras and things like that
3: so how would that work
5: yeah so it's a cool little camera that's it's made for uh inspecting crops so this camera it's uh i believe it's called a multi-spectral camera okay so they go out and use crops and you can it'll see stress in the plants before the naked eye can see it Uh, really quite quite some time before that so
3: that's amazing
5: we use it as uh, right away, the leaks would start exactly, to cause problems so it you causes realize. the vegetation to die, and you can see it. And hopefully, if you do have a leak, it, uh, we're going to be a much smaller cleanup area. to, oh, to do Oh, absolutely! That. So, so, yeah, yes. the
3: sooner you catch it, the better. It's going to exactly. be exactly. Wow, fascinating! Now, what are maybe some limitations with where you can and can't take these?
5: Right, actually, uh, you know, there's there's certain areas you can't take them. You know, there's there's zone classed areas on on the assets uh, that we look at sometimes. So
3: these are what like federal regulations were not defined? federal.
5: Yeah, I mean, in, in different countries there are, like in okay. the Middle East where we're trying, there's, it's very difficult to get uh, permits and things like that. So okay. here in the United States, it's not too difficult. Okay. Uh, they've made the process much easier, but, but mostly almost anywhere else overseas, it's, it's quite difficult to do that. So wow. there's a lot of federal and aviation regulations that, that go there.
3: Okay, okay. Um, I, one thing I always wonder with these is how long does the battery last?
5: Yeah, sure. That's a great <laughs> question, a great question. So, uh, it just depends. So, the one we're looking at here, you know, with the setup that we have, you know, it's it's 20, 20 to 22 minutes. You know, most okay. of our drones are somewhere around that, up to 30 minutes. We do have the long-range drones that can fly up to eight hours. So Really? I mean, it's a
3: huge difference. These would be for the pipeline inspection. Yes, exactly. So, they're, okay.
5: they're, they take off with uh, electric motors, and then they... Flip over to their pusher-puller motors, which are gasoline or heavy heavy jet fuel. Really? And that allows them to obviously fly longer than okay. just on battery power. Okay. That, no Tesla true. stuff here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now, do you ever do anything where they're, like, tethered for power or...?
5: Yeah, so uh, there are some instances if you're doing, like, a surveillance uh, mm-hmm. on, on a security deal, which we don't do a whole lot of, but, you know, we're trying to get in on some of it. But it mm-hmm. would be a great idea to have a, uh, a tether on there for... for going all the time so
3: okay well it sounds like a lot of the problems from when i first started hearing about this technology about you know maybe five six years ago when it's still very very early it sounds like a lot of the kind of kinks have been worked out
5: it's amazing how far in the last four years i mean i used to be a lot of fine tuning and a lot of this this drone right here it's a little bit older and it's just lots of pieces and parts but a lot of stuff's integrated now and makes it much easier to transport instead of three pelican cases we got one pelican case and the batteries are more efficient, uh, yep. they're safer, and the way they build stuff now. So,
3: all right. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you.
2: Okay, this interview is with a company I believe is called Masabi. I don't know. Everybody has different names and different things. I don't know. I don't fully understand. Anyways, this company is Masabi, and we stopped to talk to them about their LM radiator, which I understand is a frat cube but I don't understand what that is. So hopefully y'all understand what it is and you enjoy this interview with them.
0: We're headquartered in Hibbing, Minnesota. Okay. Which is just northwest of Duluth, Minnesota by about an hour's drive. Okay. And it's right on the Masabi iron ore range. Okay. And that's how the company got its start was building radiators, rugged radiators Mm -hmm. for the bulldozers in the mine, for the haul trucks, for the excavators. Okay because conventional radiators would break down and leak and, right. and, and overheat. right. And, and an interesting story about this concept of the uh, removable tubes. You uh-huh. know where that comes from? No. It actually comes out of World War II. The Brits uh-huh. and their tanks, they were tired of their tanks being put out of action right. because somebody shot a rifle bullet through the radiator. <laughs> so they wanted radiators that the soldiers could jump out of, repair, and get back in and go back into battle. Oh, very cool that's how that came about very cool after the war they didn't need it anymore right so rolls-royce the car company uh-huh started using it well okay. as, as the car companies became more competitive that type of radiator was a little too heavy a little too expensive that makes sense okay so m radiator brought the technology to the United States okay in 1953. Oh, wow. And that that's how big. we started using it okay. for, for the mining industry. Hence the name of the Masabi.
3: Right. Uh, gotcha.
0: Trade name. Well, as time went on, we realized that there were other applications. And uh-huh. we also realized that the old original concept needed upgrading, updating constantly. So right. we are constantly upgrading materials in yep. the seals, materials of the tube manufacturing styles, Uh and I guess it was the mid-1970s is when we first started manufacturing rate eaters for offshore. Okay. For the offshore jack-up rigs and submersibles. (laughs) Well, what we found out is that our standard copper tube... Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't so bad for the copper. Oh, really? But the way we get the gilling, the fins... Mm Mm-hmm. To stay on the flattened tube. We take a round oh, yeah. tube uh-huh. and flatten it, and we have to put uh, gilling on there. Right. At that time, it was soldered. It was a little little right. little solder film, and the two were almost like being glued together. Yeah. yeah. But going offshore, after a, sometimes only months, sometimes it might be right. a couple of years, the salt air and salt water yeah. would erode the solder. Okay. And the fins would fall apart, and then you just have a bare tube, and it would be no good. Right. Then it would just good. That took a couple of years for us to learn that. And then yeah. we decided, well, we got to protect that solder from the salt air. Right. So we coated it with an epoxy coating.
3: Ah, okay.
0: That worked and gave us a couple of more years of service life, but the epoxy coating would abrade away from the right. airflow. That's what brought us in, uh, oh, about 2006 or seven to develop a brass tube made of Admiralty brass. Okay. Think of ship's bells. Right, right. Admiralty brass, and we braze the gilling to the to the tube. So uh, there's no more solder. Yeah. And that's what we're doing now with aluminum. Okay. So we're learning that brazing works better than solder Very in, cool. in most cases. Now
3: we were off mic, and you were telling me a little bit, because uh, when we walked up, I, I've never seen a cooling system like this. I, I wasn't yes. even, even sure what we were looking at. At first I saw the fan on the inside. Um, but we've got a lot of bolts on here that look like just a regular socket set at home could take apart.
0: Pretty much, yes. So, and that's by design. That's, yes. It's just for field serviceability. I love when it. When the guys are out in the field, they typically will have uh, it's just a standard set of sockets. These are right. 9-16ths for what that's worth. Yeah. They can, they can pull this apart, take the tubes out uh-huh. with, a, with a very simple set of hand tools. I can see. Put a new tube and new seals in.
3: Mm-hmm. put that back together and off they go oh yeah so there's you very know? very very little downtime if there's a problem
0: it's minimal downtime yeah. that then, that's, uh, that's correct
3: you showed me earlier on the on the inside uh, Darcy's going around getting some some pictures so we'll, okay. we'll get some good uh, good content to go with this very good but um you know you can just wash it out from the inside very very easy
0: that's what it's designed to do and again that's for the uh, uh, the benefit of the end user customer hmm that might be Baker Hughes, Cud Services. Could right. be anybody right. who, who's running them. Service time, keeping that when that machine's not running, it's not making money. Oh yeah, and that's expensive.
3: Well, I used to work in the uh, gas turbine world, and for you know, it's, it's amazing how much money some of these machines make per hour. Isn't I it? Mean, some of these power generation companies. You know this is not what this used for. Just an example for people listening is they lose over a million dollars an hour when some of these turbines are down. And same thing in the field. If you've got a rig that's producing. And it goes down for cooling issues. You, know, you don't need to take a lot of downtime to get it fixed. But unfortunately, I've seen some of the ways that it operates. There's a lot of downtime with these repairs. I mean, if they've got full-time maintenance crews working around their clock to keep stuff up and running, you hardly would even need a maintenance crew for this.
0: Just about right. That, and the whole idea is that somebody like me mm-hmm. can go out there. And when right. I say somebody like me, I'm not a mechanic. Right. <laughs> But I can't tell you how many of these I've gone out to out in the field with a customer right. to show their crew how to do it, and I've done complete radiator changeovers yeah. along with their crews. anybody can do it if they're so if, if they want to. Yeah. You know?
3: Well, and you were saying too, and I, and I can I absolutely see it. Looking here, you said that if one of these rolls over, which stuff happens for all sorts of weird reasons. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That you can replace the entire uh, side panel. And correct. You don't have to worry about the rest of it.
2: That's correct. So yes. Very very uh, very so, neat,
3: very. Like innovative solution on such an old technology,
0: isn't that? That's right. Yeah, it uh, is. And th- this will outlast. This will probably. This radiator system mm-hmm. will probably outlast the service life of the, the the equipment that it's mounted on.
3: That's awesome. You know, so just th- you know, this is what I'm loving about uh, OTC. Is we're seeing so many interesting ways that uh, you know, technology that people never think about that impacts us all over the place. And, and just so many ways that we, we can uh, we can make it better, we can make it safer. I mean, for this alone, like uh, we're not having to worry about um, high-power tools. We're not having to worry about heavy equipment. Um, it, it's something that literally one or two people could, could do all the work on. And so uh, it decreases uh, the, op- the options for incidents, increases uptime. So it's, just, it's wonderful. I love it.
0: You're exactly right. It increases uptime. Yes. Keeps that equipment in service. Absolutely. Thank you, you bet. very much. Hey, thanks for talking to me. Thank
2: you. Okay, this interview was with uh, a lady from the NASA Technology Transfer Program, which was really interesting. I didn't even know this existed. Neither one of us knew it existed. We just went to talk to it because it was about NASA, and guess what? Kyle was geeked up about it. So we went over there to talk to them, and so what they believe, what NASA believes is that they develop technology that's not only good for NASA, it can be good for real-world problems. So they have several, I can't even remember, hundreds or thousands of patents. And there's a website you can go to and look at them all. And if you think it fits a project you're working on, you can contact the site that it's at and talk to them about getting a hold of that patent. And she talks in the interview about what some of their technology has been used for. And I think they release a book about it every year. So this one was really interesting um, to talk to and for y'all to listen to, I hope, and maybe even go check out the website and Kyle says he's pretty certain some of that technology might be incorporated into Texas Quality Assurance over the next year.
3: All right. Again, last day of OTC 2019 and had no idea, but NASA is here, but uh, technically the NASA technology transfer. We're here with Jordan. Mm -hmm. Why is NASA here at OTC?
6: Yeah. So, um. A lot of people don't realize that NASA technology is being used in your everyday life, and it is our job to kind of bridge the gap between companies and um, all the amazing technologies that NASA develops in-house. Uh, today we're here specifically because we have a lot of materials, coatings, sensors, water purification processes, stuff like that that would be really beneficial to the oil and gas industry.
3: That's
2: awesome. And you gave us pamphlets that people can go check out your pa- patents.
6: We, we did, yeah. Um, if you check out... NASA or sorry nasatechnology.gov um you can view our entire uh list of patents
3: <laughs> it's okay it's been a long week our and entire
6: okay. patent portfolio all in all i think we have about 1400 different patents available to be licensed out that that's a lot cool yeah. that's a lot and so- then you also shared their
2: software free yes. software
6: um all of our software can be viewed at software.nasa.gov. We have about 996 codes available to be used wow. today. Uh, we upload new codes daily.
3: I have a feeling you might be seeing some of this integrated into version 5 of our software.
6: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's all kinds of good stuff out there, stuff in project management, system testing, stuff in environmental science, propulsion, aeronautics. Very cool. Now, so, so if someone wants to
3: use the code or uh, the patents for the materials what do they have to do to be allowed to use this
6: so for the software um if you look each individual code will have a different label with it Mm -hmm. um some of it is open source some of it is general public release some of it is u.s citizens only some of its government use only it just kind of depends case by case
3: sure okay well that makes a little bit of sense Mm -hmm. how about for the uh, patents for you're talking about materials uh how's that how's that work
6: so There are, um, each individual NASA center is in charge of what they develop in-house at that center. So basically, if you find one of these technologies online and you're interested, on the last page, there's a little bit of contact information for that specific center. Mm -hmm. And the licensing manager will set you down for a free consultation with the inventor. You guys can kind of talk about it, see if it's a good fit for what you're trying to use it for. Okay. And if so, then they'll go through and negotiate the terms of the license.
3: Pretty that cool. Sounds cool. Mm-hmm. That's
6: pretty cool. So I'm really interested in the spin-off that you
2: showed us. You said you'll have a book every year. I guess people can purchase that.
6: No, actually, it's completely free. Oh, wow. um, we send a lot of hard copies out to universities and stuff like uh-huh. that. But the entire book can be viewed online at spinoff.nasa.gov. Um, we purchase or we produce one every year, showcasing fifty different companies who have used our technologies in the past. Uh, one thing that I'm really proud of this year is. Uh, There is a technology that was developed for the Apollo program Mm -hmm. uh, that was used inside of our spacesuits and it's now being used on stadium roofs and it is pound for pound stronger than steel but it's super lightweight and it actually allows light to pass through it so you can grow real grass on the stadium floor. That's that is is so really cool to me. <laughs> I so, love what it. was the purpose of light being able to pass through on the space, or that was just That's something just that
2: happened? That's just a happy accident, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I like it. And you were saying that memory foam was a NASA development. Yeah, so
6: memory foam was actually developed over at Ames Research Center, I believe. Um, and we were trying, or they were trying to figure out a way to uh, add padding to airplane chairs to okay. like counteract, like, vibrations and stuff. That's uh-huh. why when you see the commercial for Tempur-Pedic mattresses where there's a wine glass on one side and they're jumping uh-huh. and the wine glass is not tipping over, it's because it was specifically designed for that. Oh, oh that's interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Interesting.
2: And then you said something about baby formula. I'm interested. We had three kids. They were all formula babies.
6: <laughs> yeah. So how
2: did that come about?
6: <laughs> so baby formula actually came about because we were researching um, – work with algae as a way to provide a food supplement for astronauts on long duration missions. Uh, Not only were we trying to use it as a food supplement, but as a way to eat their waste and produce oxygen. Um, And as we were working with this algae, we found out that it contained some of these enzymes that were prominently found in breast milk. And these enzymes were crucial for visual and mental development. And so now it can be found in about 99% of formulas out there. Oh, wow. So, how long ago was that found
2: and put into baby formula?
6: I'm not sure of the exact Is here. it?
2: I'm just curious if formula was already around and this was added in or this helped to develop baby
6: formula. I actually don't know, don't know that one, I'm sorry. I'm no sorry. Don't
2: worry about That's it. a hard
6: <laughs> question. Don't
3: worry about it. Um, so how long has this program been going on because I've never heard of it before. So,
6: I believe it started in 1985. Oh, it's really? actually a requirement for all federal laboratories to not let our technologies die behind closed doors, but to actually push them out into the public.
3: Like, very interesting. Well, I know that I am going to be taking a look for sure, not trying to promote our business, but I we have a, a software that we've developed for quality management, we're always looking for ways to integrate project management and and testing applications so you know i can see immediately how how they'd be used for us and, and i can only imagine how many other folks out there with a small business anxious for uh some new ideas new yeah. technology to bring into it that, that this could be a, a wonderful wonderful tool
2: yeah we'll take some pictures and put these oh, yeah. addresses on the
6: show notes
3: absolutely so. absolutely um any last comments or questions before we close out
6: Uh, Yeah, just that NASA technology um, is just being found in your everyday life. It's not always just useful for up there, but it can also be useful down here on Earth.
3: Awesome. Thank you very much.
2: All right, now we have an interview with Matt from Lark Heat Treatment, I believe. This is one Kyle finally drew me in to interview with them and I had absolutely no clue what they were talking about. I think actually during the interview I said, I don't even know what question to ask you to help me understand. But Kyle was totally geeked out talking to these guys. He loved it and I think he actually has an appointment to just go check out their facility because it's something that he likes to do. So these guys are super cool if you have a need for this service. Contact them, they're friendly guys. Um, I don't know what they do, but hopefully you do.
3: <laughs> okay, so just start from where you were going, and it'll it'll get recorded in. Okay. Uh, my name is Matt
7: Clark. I'm the third generation with my family with Larky Treating. Uh, my grandfather, my father, and my uncle started the company in 1978. Uh, started with about $5,000 and 5,000 square feet, and have grown ever since then uh, to... The beginnings of one furnace, uh, one quench tank, one temper, and my grandmother were operating a drill press oh, wow. to now where we are, sixty uh, something furnaces operating, um, one of the largest heat treat facilities uh, in the South, uh, one of the largest vacuum facilities in the country, south of Soderton, Pennsylvania. Wow! Uh, and I'm and I'm a little biased because my last
3: name's Clark. So <laughs> uh, that I just find uh, so fascinating so that th- this has been, you know, the third generation yes, sir. To, uh, to run the family. I-, I love it. Or run the business. I love it. Absolutely love it. You know, I, I say all the time that that's uh, one of my goals for for our business that someday I'll get to see my grandkids be able to pass it on. Over. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that-, that would be that would be fantastic. So
2: for people that don't understand what you do, like myself, tell us about what y'all do.
3: <laughs> so
7: Lark is a commercial heat, treater, uh, heat treat provider. And we have a number of different operations where either, A, we can soften up metal Mm -hmm. uh, from the large forgings uh, where you want to machine something out of it. It makes it easier for the machine shops. Uh, We can harden up the material once you've got it completed for downhole tool applications. uh, Case hardening, either carburizing or nitriding, which is adding a very hard case to the outside of the material. Okay. Um, we have induction hardening, which is doing basically the same process, but doing it through electricity, adding that hard case to the outside of it. Um, what am I missing, Calvin? So open fire atmosphere, vacuum nitride, uh, vacuum furnaces. Mm -hmm. There you go. Sorry.
3: And that's, that's where I've got a little bit of experience with the, uh, the vacuum side. Exactly.
7: So a lot of your
3: air hardening, uh, tool steels is where the easiest way to start that
7: would be. Uh, some of your material heated up to a temperature and you have to drop it into a quench Mm -hmm. uh, to get it to harden some of your tool steels and some of your stainlesses will harden just through air so what we do is run it up to that temperature in a vacuum and then actually use a gas quench Mm -hmm. uh, argon nitrogen and that will force it to cool off a lot quicker so instead of going through the quench phase like in a water an oil or a polymer quench that forced gas will cause it to harden up, then go through the temporal process. And when you do that in vacuum, you can have a finished material, uh, actual finished part. You send it to us, we'll harden it up. You're not going to have any scaling, and it's actually going to come back to you prettier than when you send it to us. Right.
3: Well, yeah, because um, what I found when, when I did this before is that, you know, just quenching it uh, in a in liquid of some sort, even quenching it just in ambient air, there's still other uh, um, molecules and and materials in the air that can sometimes come into the metal, which is why you to say what you have is it actually does, does comes out prettier than when you put it Correct. in um, because there's nothing to interact with the metal. Um, and you know, that, that was just, uh, one of the, one of the most fun things for me. I know we had a uh, one customer that, um, he, the official requirement was that all of his parts come back shiny. Mm-hmm. So we had a special heat treat and we had a special way of buffing the parts so that his parts came back shiny mm-hmm. what <laughs> funny enough we actually have a
7: customer and obviously i can't tell you who it is no. uh we'll run it through the vacuum and they come out just looking beautiful mm-hmm. perfect well when they're done they have to go through a temper process this customer specifically wanted them vacuum hardened but air tempered because they wanted it to discolor a little bit really their inspectors would look at it and say, well it comes back shiny they don't know it's been heat treated so oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. So wow. they and it's it's changing the it's changing the outlook and having everyone understand that it doesn't have to be scaled up in order for right. it to look like it's been heat treated. Right. You know. And that's where some of the education comes in teaching people that, you know, you have to be able to check the hardness to see where it's
3: Yeah. Well, now, how large, y- y'all've got a, a really large furnace. How large is y'all's largest furnace? Open fire, we have
7: one furnace that's 12 foot across, 10 foot tall, and 22 foot in length. Uh, for one of our customers, we've run 155,000 pounds in it at one time. Um, and that's our largest open fire. Uh, I think as far as nitriding, we have one that's 44-inch OD, 72 inches vertical. Uh, we have a 72-inch OD, 96-inch vacuum furnace that we've purchased unfortunately it's still sitting in Canada
4: mm-hmm. we're dealing
7: with Harris County to try to get the building permits we've been fighting uh-huh. with them for about two years uh-huh. oh, wow. uh, uh-huh. once, It's not fun. yeah once we get that done then we'll have that one and another two bottom load vacuums that we've purchased get those online wow that, that's amazing that's amazing well, I
2: hope that people understand what he's saying because I think I'm more confused now <laughs> than when you started and I don't even know what questions to ask to understand it <laughs>
3: Well, I'm not going to pretend to be the expert on this, but uh, basically it's, um, you know, the softer the metal is, the more you can work with it, but then it tends to bend and deform and deflect. The harder it gets, of course, the less it's going to bend and deform and deflect, but then the more likely it is to crack or the more brittle it gets. Correct. And so these guys put, you know, when I say put science, it is like true science behind how do we get this material for its composition to give you the properties you're wanting.
7: Okay. And one of the things that my grandfather used to always say is it's, it's half science, half art. So we still have to know, be able to look at the chemistry of the material and mm-hmm. say, maybe this one has a little too much carbon, uh, it has too much vanadium, it has too much moly in it. So we really need to be careful about it because it's a high hardenability material. If you quench it too fast, if you don't get into the temper quick enough, It'll be so hard, it becomes brittle, then that's where you start having some cracking issues. Well, and I guess that's what
2: Kyle was trying to explain to me the other day, why this is better after we left talking to you. And he was saying that, I guess, if you don't have this available, you use heat blankets, and it kind of heats unevenly and not all at the same time.
7: That's a stress relief process. So a lot of times what will come in is you have two pieces of metal, obviously you have to weld them to join them together. Mm -hmm. So people will send us that to go through a post-weld heat treat or a stress relief. So it's just exactly what it says, is to take the stresses out of the material. You can do that with a blanket process, and there's a lot of really good vendors out there that do that. Uh, but what we do is put the entire part into a furnace and heat it up below the tempering temperature to take those stresses out of the material. Nothing, nothing wrong with those localized stress relief guys. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that they will work on sometimes is even bigger than that for the large furnace that we mm-hmm. have availability for sometimes you're dealing with you know 60 80 120 foot long pipe
2: so maybe that's the only option
7: correct well um anything to add before we close up no i uh, just thank you guys for coming by giving them the opportunity and anybody listening stop by and see us larky treating absolutely. 6640 mayor absolutely yeah,
2: they're right here in houston
3: yeah Hey, one quick question before we go, and I, I try to ask this people. Everyone's got some kind of crazy story of something that uh, that went wrong, things that weren't planned for. You got any fun stories about maybe folks that uh, had things go in the furnace that might not uh, have gone in the furnace?
7: Um, not so much that direction. the The, the funnest one is uh, we do have some vertical pits, mm-hmm. so when they have an ID in the material, once it hits the quench tank, it's at 1600 degrees and it hits the oil. Well, oil is combustible. So when those parts start dropping down that quench tank, it almost becomes a flamethrower. So there's a flame (laughs) curtain that hangs underneath the crane. So obviously we always warn our customers when they come in, if we're quenching a vertical load, right? uh, get ready for it. Right. And we had a customer that said, oh yeah, I've been in a heat treat shop before, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they came out, saw it quench, and when they did, they had a uh, personal accident. Oh, no. uh, I love the way you worded that. That's probably the the closest I can come to uh, a funny story that's happened at the shop.
3: Oh, Oh, that's awesome. Uh, All right, I appreciate it. Thank you.
7: Absolutely. Thank you, guys.